Well, welcome to Regeneration. And um, that meeting on Saturday, I, I strongly encourage you guys to go. If you if you are part of this family, uh, we expect you to be there. It's kind of like a family reunion. If you're not, and you're kind of like just the outsider boyfriend or girlfriend, this is kind of time to meet the family. So uh, come on Saturday. And if you don't like us at that time, you can break up with us. So, but but please come out. Um, there are some things that we're really excited about in terms of sharing. And then the, there's some other stuff that, that is just closer to our heart. We want to show that uh, we as a community uh, want to deal with things in a correct way, in uh, an honest way, an upfront way. We do not desire to hide things. Uh, we want to make a distinction between what is secret and what is private. And we don't want to hide secrets. But we want to keep things private, but we don't want to hide secrets. So please come on out and uh, join us on Saturday. Uh, we're going to finish uh, the rest of the book of James. No, I'm kidding. Just chapter 1. Just going to finish chapter 1. And uh, starting on verse 19, because we ended with verse 18 uh, last week. Well, this teaching is uh, a really practical one, and it's going to end by speaking of the nature of true faith. But it's not necessary, necessarily theory. Rather, it deals with the practical matters of Christian life. And it's going to show us what faith means in practical matters. And think about what usually makes people angry. Is it injustice, partiality, racism, rush hour traffic? Like, what, what are the things that make people angry? One of the things that gets me really angry is that um, the foods that taste the best are the highest in fat and calories and sugar. I get angry. I mean, why does the best piece of steak have to have the highest concentration of fat? Filet mignon? I don't get it. Why does pasta have to be so high in calories? It's good. Why does uh, ice cream have to be so high in sugar? Actually, why do all desserts have to have all three problems? Um, has any, anyone ever been angry at you and hurt you instead of helped you? See, I have this cousin that I grew up with. He's one of my closest friends in my wedding party. And um, he grew up in a house that was just full of anger. And he wasn't, so, he wasn't doing so well in school, and he was really misbehaving at home. And it just drove his parents crazy, and it made them that much more angry. So my mom, she offered my aunt to take my cousin into our home. And, you know, I, I thought the guy would be dead for sure. Like, there's no chance you're going to make it in my house if you can't make it in yours, right? Because my mom, she, she's one militant ninja. She's, she does not mess around. She's only 5'4 and like a buck 10, but she knows how to swing a bamboo stick. Like, like, dang, that hurt, you know? And my aunt agreed to let my cousin live with us and when we were in the second grade, and I remember that we had progress reports come out. And so I get my progress report, and I'm like, okay, I made it. Because in my house, if you got anything but all A's, you, you got it. So my cousin opens his and his is all F's and one D. And, and so uh, I was sure he was dead. Like I, I even told him from our walk home from school, I was like, you're dead. <laughs> and he was so scared. I, I was scared for him. And um, man, I, 
I was scared just to be around because of the shrapnel that would happen with my mom's whips of fury. And um, so when my mom came home from work, I, I ran to my room and I hid. And I was sure I was going to hear my crouching tiger, hidden dragon mom just go at it, right? But, but then it was quiet. And then I thought to myself, that was really quick. He's dead already. Like, <laughs> and, then, and then I came out of my room and I saw my mother in tears at the dining table. And she, and she was just sitting there, and my cousin was kind of 90 perpendicular to her, and he was just there pleading for his life. And, and all she had to say was, to him while she was sobbing was how she failed as someone who loved him, how she failed to encourage him to do better in school. And, and then she was slow to wrath. Verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That forever changed my cousin. He got straight C's for the first time in his life. See, his family um, is full of good people. His, his siblings, his mom and dad, they're, they're, they're cool. And they have some anger problems like some of you do, I'm sure. Um, but some of us who have been hurt by people like our parents, friends, siblings, children, spouse, we're hurt in their anger. But normally at non-angry times, they are people who mean us well. They, they may even be people who actually love us. And something to keep in mind about anger is that it's not always an accurate gauge of how people actually feel about us. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Remember that James is writing to believers in Jesus Christ to those who know and worship Jesus as Lord of our lives. And in verse 19, he calls them beloved. He's addressing fellow Christians whom he holds dear. And it seems that they are in need of some teaching about dealing with anger. And as Christians, we have to deal with anger. The question is, how? How do we deal with our anger? When... when uh, Volatile or upsetting situations arise where we are instructed to aggressively listen, but to be careful to say little or nothing, and then we are able to make an effort to not let your anger rise. And usually it's um, talking that gets us in trouble, isn't it? Listening, not so much, right? Usually you don't hear people say, Stop listening to me. I hate when you listen to me. It's so considerate, right? All of your attention's focused on me. I hate it. It's usually the things that we say that get us in trouble. And how much more so when we're angry. We say things we really regret in that state of emotion. We say things we probably wouldn't say if we were just self-controlled. And there are so many things that would have worked out so much better if we would just keep our mouths shut and listen. And taking into consideration what we discussed last week in regards to temptations and trials, and the goodness of God, we need to be mindful of being slow to wrath. Why? Verse 20, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How can we be slow to wrath? We can learn to be slow to wrath by first learning to be swift to hear and slow to speak. Our wrath does not bring about the righteousness of God. When it's our wrath, it almost always is meant to defend our own agenda. And our agenda isn't always necessarily right, is it? It's saying that if anger is just a normal human response, that if it's, it's just the way that I am, it, it won't accomplish the will of God. 
We may have good reasons for getting angry or believe that our anger can move someone to change their behavior, even change their wrong behavior, but it doesn't work. James could be saying that the one, that one of the reasons for leaving off being angry is that it's just not effective. It doesn't accomplish the goal that you set out anyway. And most of our wrath and anger stems from being self-centered. We feel taken advantage of or disrespected or not heard, and we act out in this way. And what James is instructing us to do is to be focused on others. Being swift to hear is a way to focus on others. We need to direct our attention to others, and we listen to them. You know, you don't always have to talk. Silence is really okay. And there's a ministry in silence. When, when someone goes to a hospital visit, the most important thing that is done there is that you listen to the patient and to the family and the friends, and then you listen to the Lord as how you can minister to them through that. In some cases, there's just nothing to say. How do you, what do you say to a family with their, their, a family that has a son or a husband or something that's in the AIDS hospice and he has like 24 hours left? There's nothing to say. Right? You just kind of hang out there. And that was a true situation when I went to San Francisco to deal with that. You, you just don't say anything. You know, you're there. Being slow to speak is also a way for us to focus on others. It gives us time to process what's communicated to us. <clears throat> we don't have to hurry in our rebuttals or explanations or excuses. We can take the time to take in what people are saying to us and think about what you say. And don't just talk for the sake of talking. Because words can be hurtful. And we need to be in control of our speech. And once it's out there, it's not really something you can pull back. So what do we do with all the energy that gets aroused when we get to the point of anger? What do we do with that? James has given us a channel for this anger. Let's see what he advises us to do opposed to uh, our fleshly desires. Verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now often we get angry at someone for what they've done or said to us and, and their actions or words have aroused our tempers, right? And what we need to do is Set aside our pride, set aside our wicked ways, set aside our agenda, and let the Word of God minister to us. And this is an action to put something away. And it's actually a choice. Are you going to harbor it and keep it? Or are you going to just push it aside, set it, set it aside? And James seems to be proposing that we redirect our attention to our own faults. We are to direct that energy towards our own moral failings and evil that is so frequently around us. We should focus on God's Word to us. And James could actually be utilizing some of Jesus' thoughts from the Sermon on the Mount. What words of Jesus could James be using? Matthew chapter 7, 1-5 through 5, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgments you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus tells us that we should deal with our own faults first. Jesus t tells us to redirect our attention to ourselves. And we're not to be controlling of others by judging them or 
manipulating others with our judgment. It says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. How are we living our lives? Are our actions pure? Are our motivations pure? We are to lay aside all filthiness, all impurity, to put them far away from us. And in contrast to that way of living, we should receive with meekness the implanted word. What is meekness? It's having a teachable heart. It's having a mild disposition, a gentle spirit. Not one of arrogance and pride, thinking that you know everything, right? We don't. Only God does. So we are to remain teachable, to have a mild disposition, to have a gentle spirit. And according to the end of verse 21, it will save us. It will save us now, forever, and God's word will save us from an impure world. Let's recap what James has said about anger. Perhaps James is saying, if we will first listen, not speak, and not get angry, it's verse 19, because it will do no good, verse 20, and then attend to our own moral failings, verse 21, then we are listening to the word of God. Let's move on. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Sometimes I'm in front of the mirror and I think, I'm Chinese. And I walk away and I forget, but sometimes I need to look. But verse 25, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The person who hears the word of God but does not do it is like one who sees their reflection in a mirror but later forgets what he has seen. This illustration shows us that if we hear the word of God and don't act upon it, we're living in delusion, living in the realm of deception. We're not self-aware. We think we know ourselves, but we, re- we really don't. And it's only by doing what God says that we can be blessed by what God says. But I go to church every Sunday. I go to morning service and evening service. I go to the midweek Bible study, and I, I read my Bible all the time. Uh, I've even memorized Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I guess you should have memorized James too. Because it's not only by hearing God's Word, it includes doing God's Word. And we need to obey God's Word through our actions. Thinking that just by hearing it is enough is, is fooling yourself. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Sleeping in a garage does not make you a car, right? Just going to church makes you a fan of Christianity, but you're not a player in the kingdom of God. Just like a typical fan who watches the game and complains on the, on the television, I can't believe he didn't make that shot. I can make that shot. I can't believe how slow that guy is. I can run faster than that. And the funny thing is that you really think that you can. Well, you're deceiving yourself. And, and you think you're in better shape than you actually are. And we need to be truthful to ourselves, right? In ancient times, it was a very oratorical society, and people would often teach in public areas. So it was common for people to just hear a teacher as they were passing by, someone discussing something about philosophy or whatever, just, just on the main roads there. And, and, it, and if they were interested, they would stop by. They were like, that's interesting. He's talking about high corn, 
high fructose corn syrup. You know, he would, they would stop by. And, but those who took the teachings to heart and wanted to do what was actually taught, they were called disciples. And disciples followed their teacher and were looking to do more with what they learned than just storing up knowledge. What is a disciple? And specifically, what is a disciple of Jesus? A disciple of Jesus is someone who has chosen to learn from Jesus how to live their life as Jesus would live it if he was them. A disciple asks, how would Jesus live my life if he was me? You know that WWJD slogan, you know, what would Jesus do? It's close. It is. A lot of of what we're talking about is action, and that slogan, slogan describes it pretty well. But there's something more to tangible action. I think the more accurate slogan of a disciple of Jesus would be, how would Jesus live? There are things in our hearts and our minds which are contrary to what we do. And Jesus is not like that. His motives are pure. His heart and mind are pure, along with his actions. The question is, are ours? Good that you do good things, but do you do them harboring anger, harboring resentment, harboring bitterness? What Jesus wants is disciples, not people who just listen, but do. And even in doing, it's important how you go about doing. Not just what they do, but how they do it. Verses 24 through 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Sorry, this is Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus closes his infamous Sermon on the Mount with this point of action. He said that if you hear the word without doing it, it's like a man who built his house on sand. The one who does both hear and does, it's like a man who built their house on a rock and could withstand the inevitable storms of life, the trials of life, the temptations of life. And the Bible has some things to say about action. Just, just hearing the word does not justify you. Romans chapter 2, verse 13 tells us, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 tells us, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So the scriptures are clear about the importance of action. Okay, let's briefly go back to verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Observing his natural face. Okay, the ancient Greek word for observing has this idea of attentive consideration or careful examination. And perhaps, is, perhaps James is referring to people who can scrutinize the Word of God or regard it as Bible experts. They can, they can exegete this thing really beautifully. But you know what? That doesn't really necessarily result in doing. Your average human being looks in the mirror to do something, right? To shave, to pluck, to brush, to fix your hair, pop a pimple. It's to do something, right? It's not just to admire yourself. I guess some people do. They say like, hey, beautiful, it's me again. Hey, you're looking good today. That outfit looks really hot on you. That color's great. 
right? I'd go out with you. And, and you know what? What's funny is guys don't even have to do that. And guys are like, That's what Christians are to be like. I mean, not necessarily the self-affirmation part, but to do something. And your average Christian looks in the Bible to do something. Or at least that's how it should be. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. And unfortunately, many people who claim they are Christians are just looking at the Bible without doing anything. They're reading the Bible and saying, that was a good story. That's true. That's really true. Jesus was a cool guy. But how is that turning into action? Are you just accumulating knowledge without exercising what you learn? What's the use of storing facts if you don't use them? Let's look at verse 25 a little bit. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It's saying that if we study the Word of God closely and do it, continue in it, then we'll be blessed. The phrase, looks into the perfect law of liberty, is is interesting. There's a really interesting action taking place here. In the ancient Greek language, the words for looks into speaks of an insightful assessment of something. It's describing how someone will, will stoop over in order to look at something a little bit more closely or, or go with their head bowed a little forward or their body bent towards something. And have you noticed that when people want to better look at something or, or want to look at something more carefully, that, that, that's what they do, right? Like, like that three inches helps, right? But they do. So even, even James stresses doing. He's not forgetting the importance of studying the God, God's Word either. He, he, he emphasizes doing, but he's not forgetting that the Bible, the study of the Word of God, is important. He's encouraging us to carefully look into the Word of God, to make an effort to find out what it has for us. Verse 26, If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The thing that makes religion worthless is when people can't keep a tight rein on their tongue. Real religion isn't shown by hearing the word, but by doing it. And one of the ways to do God's word is to bridle the tongue. And, you know, if Christians could just do this, we wouldn't be in as much trouble as we are. Just this one thing. And the word religious is a word that is never used in a positive light in the New Testament. James uses it in verse 26 to describe someone who's religious, but who, who really isn't right with God. And this is obviously because he can't bridle his tongue, which makes his religion useless. It makes his religion empty. And our walk with God is useless if it doesn't translate into the way we live our lives. It's useless if it doesn't translate into the way that we treat others. And there are many who are deceived in their own hearts concerning the reality of their walk with God. I mean, how are you speaking of others? Are you causing damage or division? Or are you building up and uniting? So I encourage you to please take inventory of the things you say, to look at the fruits of the words you say. Are your fruits rotten? Are they damaged? What is the fruit of what you say? Just just take a look at it. 
And the things you are saying, are your actions matching what you are saying? Are you even doing anything? Or are you just yapping and hurting people? Can you just talk about how things are wrong but not get involved and make something happen and make it better? So please be careful of this. Especially with the things that we as a body are currently dealing with. This is really important. Why would James seem so tough on those he considers dear brothers? James, like Jesus, really loves people. And James wants us free of deception, and therefore he he deeply and seriously challenges us, even in our current situation. And this, this is a book written from the standpoint of love. Verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. True religion, a real walk with God, one that God accepts as pure, shows itself in real, simple, and practical ways through our actions. It's when we look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep ourselves morally pure from sin, meaning we are to help those that are needy and those that are in distress and keep ourselves unstained by the corruption of the world. We should encourage one another to stay true to the examples of Jesus. Notice that verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God. There's a lot of pure and undefiled religion before man. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's pure and undefiled religion before God. What we can see as righteous or helpful or well-meaning isn't necessarily so with God. So be careful of this. Be really careful of this. We need discernment as to what is of God and what is of man. It's important to ask yourself, am I being self-righteous? Can I be wrong? What does unspotted from the world mean? Let's take a look at Genesis at a guy by the name of Lot. Lot was spotted by the world. He had a real affinity for Sodom. He was attracted to it because of what it had to offer. The prosperity and all was was really appealing to Lot, even though the spirituality of Sodom was evil. And he ended up moving into the city and even became part of Sodom's leadership. What happened to Lot? He lost everything he had except for his life. So the questions are, what are your motivations behind what you do? Do you do things solely for status, for money, for title, position, recognition, why do you do what you do? Even though you do really cool things like fight for social justice, is it for the Lord? Or are you just caught up solely in a cause? Because if that's just the case, then what's the difference between that and some philanthropic organization out there? Are we just caught up in Bay Area life? Being green, recycling, buying sustainable goods? eating, sleeping, wearing organic, fighting for the environment, not realizing why you do it. And I'm not saying those things are wrong because my family believes in those things. I mean, we're, we're practically hippies, right? We're a green household, and for the most part, we, we subscribe to that organic, sustainable, fair trade lifestyle. But do we do it solely because we're caught up in Bay Area culture? I mean, sure, it influences us, but it's more than just Bay Area life. It's turned into like a stewardship thing for us, stewardship to the Lord. 
So do you live here for Jesus or because you like it? Not that you can't like it, but do you have simple, practical outreaches to help those who are needy and in distress who live here along with you? Or do you just like it here and take up space? Are you living here as a spectator? There are many simple and practical ways to help those who are in need. I mean, how about serving breakfast across the street every Sunday morning to our homeless community? Or going out Friday nights to serve the homeless community just to talk with them, to let them know that they're valued and cared for and that they can come to us with their needs? How about going to a care group that's set up throughout the week to help someone that's hurting from the situations we're dealing with? How about giving food to a beyond emancipation? How about spending time with our kids at Lockwood Elementary School? And many of you here are doing something, and I want to encourage you guys to keep doing something. Keep doing it. And you guys are doing good. The challenge is for those of you who aren't. If you're not doing something for the needy, are you a Christian? If your belief in Jesus is real, or, I mean, is it, are you fooling yourself, or is that a real belief? And these are questions for us to ponder. If you need help finding out what you can do, please come to me or a staff person or an intern. And there's so many needs in our community, so many ways to serve those in need and distress. And in Oakland, there's no shortage. There's a lot of stuff. So please accept this challenge this week and do something. Don't wait. Procrastination is just going to continue, and you're going to stay in this rut that you're currently in. And if you're a procrastinator, there's a need for the food pantry at Beyond Emancipation to be stocked. There's a Lucky's down the street, two blocks, okay? Before we're done with the service, you can come back, the doors will be open, drop your food off. It's your lucky day. Okay? Regeneration. What are we saying? What are we doing? Are we united as disciples of Jesus Christ to occupy the kingdom of God? Will God accept what we do at Regen according to the book of James if it does not involve helping those in need? If you're not doing anything, can you please do something in the name of Jesus to serve those in need, to serve those in distress? See, our, our, our walk with the Lord is actually really simple, but it's not easy. And His instructions to us are not complicated, but putting them into practice is challenging. So let, let's not just be hearers of God's word, but doers as well. Yeah, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your challenge to us. Um, I think for some of us, it's, it's been uh, a reality check. We ask, God, that you would fill in our minds those of us who aren't doing things for the needy or those in distress, that you would show the opportunities that are ahead to get involved. There's so many people that are hurting and, and so many people that you want to minister to. Um, and we, we appreciate the opportunity you've given us to be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen.